Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, uh, I'm lovely, of course, because uh, I get to talk about uh, one of my favorite documents, uh, the United States Constitution. And which, we, which we have established you sleep with underneath your, your pillow at night. Yes. Um, so that it seeps I, into your brain while you're, isn't that, isn't that how it works to study for things? I'm pretty sure some of your students <laughs> study that way. They put your class notes under their, under their pillow and hope for the best. Is it learning by osmosis? That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, listeners, this is part two of, uh, of, uh, of, of an episode where we are discussing things that are not in the Constitution. Yes, and, and if you're curious about the previous episode, that was um, things that didn't make it in because they got sort of dissed. Right. Like Madison came up with all these sort of flowery things. And then later on, other people came up with flowery things and said, hey, let's put these in the Constitution. And everybody else went, nah, we're good. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, the previous episode was the proposed amendments that for whatever reason or reasons just didn't make the grade. Okay. And now what we're talking about. So if you've seen the movie, The Princess Bride. Yes. One of the characters regularly says, inconceivable and then another character says to him i do not think this word means what you think it means <laughs> and it has one of first of all that's mandy patinkin who is one of the is a gem in our acting sphere yeah but uh, also, one of the greatest american actors uh, of the last half century oh okay? he's marvelous and yes. and also i i think sometimes about the constitution i do not think that means what you think it means right like i think when people say certain things about the constitution, I hear him in my head. Um, Because I think that people think there's a lot of stuff in there that's not in there. And I know that you have a list that you want to talk about of things that are not in there that you think are in there. Can we start with my favorite? Yeah, go ahead. So my favorite is I have a right to privacy. Correct. And, and, I hate to break this to any listeners. The founders didn't give a tinker's darn about your privacy or anybody's privacy. They did not have the concept of privacy for a variety of reasons. One, whole bunch of people living in a relatively small space, right? Like, yes. so, you know, you have, a, you, you have servants or slaves or what have you living in those spaces with you they just were not alone they were not they didn't have privacy in that way and the other thing is they also lived on farms that were distant from other people yeah so, so they, you could go have weeks the insulation. if not months exactly. without seeing any official from the government or without seeing anybody neighbor wise unless you saw them on sunday at church like yeah, there's but- no yeah, the fair point. But in terms of, you know, the right to privacy, the right to be left alone. Oh, by the government? Gov- yeah. By the government intrusion. You saw that guy once a year when he came to collect taxes. That's it, right? And you saw the postal delivery guy who, who didn't have any interest in what you were doing with your mail. Like, yeah. he just had a job to do. He was showing up, handing you stuff and moving on. Like, yes. 
So their concept of privacy was just, it just didn't exist the way it exists now. And so am I correct that there is absolutely no evidence of the word privacy in the constitution? That is correct. Um, there is uh, no specific uh, reference to privacy in the constitution. However, um, because of various Supreme Court rulings, um, uh, we now have a right to privacy um, that according to the court can be traced to a number of amendments. So for instance, Nia, the Ninth Amendment states that just because there is a listing of rights in the Bill of Rights does not mean the people don't possess other rights. Oh, right. Uh Okay. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes. Right. Okay. But gotcha. of course, it begs the question, what are these other other rights, other enumerated rights not listed in the Constitution? Well, according to the Supreme Court, um, starting with the case of Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965, the court has developed and expanded um, this right to privacy. And in Griswold, it was the right of married couples to choose or not to use contraception. Oh, that's a thing that shouldn't be anybody else's business. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, a strong majority of the court agrees with you, Nia, right? That's because I'm right. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, but what, hello. <laughs> but, what, but what was interesting was that there were there was a majority opinion and four separate concurring opinions because they could not agree where to to locate or base the right to privacy. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. It's not in here technically, but it's in here kind of implied somewhere. So we're yeah. all going to choose different places that we think it's implied. I, I, but I it's tell a very, students, but that 1965, see, that's a very modern it is a very modern uh, view of yes. right view of the okay um because if madison had 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 the conception of a of a right to privacy one could argue that he would have written it in there explicitly yes okay uh, implied um, means that he just assumed well of course you have privacy what how would you not have privacy yeah, I mean, he yeah. also <laughs> couldn't see a future where i mean think about the cities then were just not nearly the size that they are now people weren't living on top of each other the way they are now the government wasn't nearly as intrusive as and it wasn't ever in his mind intended to be intrusive i mean this is that whole anti-federalist right the government shouldn't be this intrusive overseer that knows all the things including oh my goodness your contraceptive habits which is just mind-blowing to me that anybody would have to bring a legal case to have a discussion about who should who should know about your reproductive marital, habits in that way yeah like, marital oh relations yeah yeah no 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 and then two years later the supreme court in the case of cats versus united states uh, which was a fourth amendment case um, went ahead and said that the Fourth Amendment protected people, not places, and that the standard to judge the government conducting searches and seizures should be 
a reasonable expectation of privacy acknowledged or accepted by the public. So this oh. is where you, you begin so to see. They can't do a bull, full body cavity search of your person for a traffic stop. Yes. Because okay. that would be considered an invasion of your privacy. And boy, yeah. would it, because that would happen on the side of the road, too, which would be. OK, well, scary. I mean, and, and, and again, this gets to this notion of, you know, expectation of privacy. Right. OK. Or, or non-expectation of privacy, because if you're out in public. I mean, like, I know there have been there have been cases about you can't take my picture. Right, because lots of um, yeah. businesses and governments have cameras set up all over a city to to watch for crime, to do all kinds of things. Right, there's there's lots of reasons why you would do that, but that if you go out in a city, you don't really have an expectation that you can prevent people from taking your picture. If you're outside, then you've sort of let go of the right of privacy. Or, I mean, the classic example is, let's say the police bring you in for questioning. Can they go ahead and record your conversation uh, or anything that you say? Sure, because you have no reasonable expectation of privacy in a police station. Right. However, if your attorney shows up and then says to the cops, turn off the recording devices because I'm going to have a confidential conversation with my client, then the cops have to. Okay. Do they, they have, have to. to? I wonder if they have to, if the, if the lawyer doesn't ask for that. Well, technically they could probably try to get around it, but if they get the wrong judge, the judge would say, come on now. Okay. You knew that there was an expectation of, expectation of, of privacy, of privilege. Okay? Yes, of privilege okay. between a client and a lawyer. Lawyer. So it but gets class, complicated, but but I think it's interesting. Your case that you brought up is the is 1960s, I and mean, we go a long time without there being this question. Yes. Because yes. people don't assume a right to privacy. They don't assume that their neighbors and their police officers and their town officials don't know what everybody's doing. And yes. just speaking as a person who comes from a small town, they do know what everybody's doing. They, I, If I had committed a crime downtown, by the time I got home, my parents would be ready for a beating. Because yeah. everybody between downtown and my house would have called my parents and said, did you, did you see what she, you don't know what she did down here, but I saw her doing graffiti. And the next thing you know, I'd be in for a whooping because. Yeah. I mean, and that's there's the no about, expectation did, for privacy yeah. in a small town. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the cops <laughs> never had to get, the cops never had to get search warrants in my small <laughs> hometown. Nope. All they had to do was just sit back and wait. Okay. For the, the rumor mill, the conversation mill to get back to a police officer who might be at the local Dunkin' Donuts, okay? And by the time I would get home, my mother knew, my sisters knew, right. my grandmother knew, my <laughs> uncles knew, okay? And all of them wanted to have conversations. And I'm using air quotes, conversations with me. Right. Okay? <laughs> So it's just funny because that's a that's a whole separate sort of vigilante uh, and question. And of course, but... Nia, before we move on from the right of privacy, the big one, uh, the right to privacy was extended by the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade, um, claiming that the right to privacy included 
a woman's right to choose whether to have an abortion or not. Oh, I didn't know that's what that was founded in. It is rooted it's in a the right, right to, to private. Right oh, privacy. interesting. Yes. Okay. So and that's 73, four? Yeah. 73. So within a decade, we go from not having a clearly recognized right to privacy to the Supreme Court <laughs> issuing, you know, groundbreaking rulings that right. say. Um, you the do US have these expectations. You do you have, have, you have this expectation. Implied. But the, and here's the thing. This conversation that you and I are having is pointing to how nebulous the right to privacy truly is. Because if the membership on the court changes, right. and you get a whole bunch of strict constructionists on the court, okay, they can go ahead and quite easily say, it's not in no, the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. So it's and implied people, isn't the same thing as being in there. Explicitly and, stated. So they could quite easily say, as strict constructionists are fond of saying, if the people want, you know, a change to the Constitution. There's a way to do that. There's a way to do it. And we're not it. Right. And you would need to look at the legislative. You would need to be giving side eye to the legislative branch because it's right. in fact their job to do that, not the law. So that's where that's where that may turn again. Yes. Depending yes. on the on the. But there are some things that are sort of immutably not in there. Yes, that people people repeat, claim all the time. And when they do, Nia. It takes everything I have not to go ahead <laughs> and, and, and just play devil's advocate with. Yeah, you, cite right? your source. What part of the Constitution is <laughs> <Yeah>. that in? <laughs> I'm going to need you to tell me which of the articles you found that in. And when they go, uh, well, yeah, no, until you've read the document, don't tell me what's in it. That, that's I, a, I, I, it, I so bad. The Constitution wanted... and the Bible fall into these categories. Categories of where of, people say, oh, I know it's in, in the there Bible. somewhere. And right. I'm like, just like, okay, fine. Where is it in the Bible? And exactly. Like, and they're like, huh? And I said, no, seriously. Because I said, I've read and studied the Bible, and you're making a claim of which I'm unfamiliar. Right. Okay. Likewise with the Constitution. You know, I've studied, researched it, taught it for years. <laughs> and, and I'll just give you one of the examples. Okay. Um, innocent until proven guilty. That's not in the Constitution, okay? It is not in the Constitution. The Constitution now, actually technically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Augie, but I think that the Constitution doesn't care whether you're innocent or guilty. It cares no. what can be proved in a court of law. Yeah. Your innocence or guilt is not actually relevant except as to going to prove what legally well, the, happened, right? The, the, yeah, the emphasis in the Constitution, and I tell my students this all the time, I said, if you look at the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and to a certain extent, the Eighth Amendments, those are the amendments that give you rights if you're accused of crime. They don't, the Constitution doesn't care if you actually committed the crime. <laughs> it gives you rights that force the government to jump through hoops to demonstrate that you did. Right. Okay. 
Right. Because they have to prove a thing. Yeah, they have to prove a thing. It's an adversarial system. And Which is good. We don't want the system to be assuming guilt you are and guilty. then you have to prove your innocence because that's yeah. a lot more expensive and onerous on the individual. It yeah. should be up to the state to the prove state. that you are guilty because it has the larger resources to do that. Like the, the, it, puts the, it puts the financial and social burden on the party that has more of the resources yeah, because than the on the other need- party. Because, in effect, Nia, the state is claiming you harmed the community. Right. You harmed the state. Yeah. The state okay. being everybody else around you. Yeah. The, the, because the government represents the collective. Right. Okay. And this is an individual right. So it basically goes ahead and says to the state, well, if you're going to claim that Nia, okay, is this no good blah, 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 who did X, well, you're going to have to jump through hoops because otherwise we assume, okay, she's a member of good standing. But that comes from, that, that doesn't come from the constitution though. That concept is British common law. Okay. Is British, is British common law. Right. And, you know, judges, I'm assuming that you're a decent person until you, until yes. someone proves otherwise. Yeah, and if you want to root it into political uh, philosophy, Nia, it comes from classic republicanism, small r, not Republican Party. Classic republicanism emphasizes the collective, right? But the Constitution protects the individual, and that's classic liberalism, small l, right? (laughs) Okay, And, and of course, my students are just like, but, but, and I said, you are guaranteed a process, okay? It's right. called due process of law. If the government wants to abridge your life, liberty, or property, and by the way, if they take you to court and you're found guilty, you may lose your liberty and your life, and in some cases, if you spend enough time in jail, your property. So the burden's on the government. But the system itself does not necessarily assume that you are innocent. The system doesn't care. Right. <laughs> the system doesn't care, right? Likewise. The system only cares what it can prove. Yes, right? Likewise, people believe that they have a right to a fair trial. Well, Nia, you've heard me say this before. Fair is a four-letter dirty word as it comes <laughs> to the right. U.S. Constitution. That's right? right. In George Carlin's list of dirty words, fair should have been one of them as far as the Constitution is concerned. is concerned, right? Because fair could not be more subjective. Yes. Like that's the problem with that concept is that fair is wildly subjective. What I think of as a fair trial and what you think of as a fair trial would be like, yeah, because be you know, wildly different. I know that, aren't you, you're, are you guaranteed you're guaranteed a speedy trial right like you they can't just make you languish yeah waiting okay, so, for legal redress yeah so neil what you're re- referencing is the fact that the sixth amendment in particular has a number of if you will rights for those accused of crime right or correct i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna sorry I'm gonna use correct here because we're, we're right rights okay so. <laughs> exactly uh, so 
you have various rights if you're accused of crime. So including, go ahead, Nia. In a criminal, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. That's right. So these are all things that you have access to. But notice, Nia, what you just read. Did it ever say a fair trial? Nope. No. So technically, and it, could, and it, could, could, could the state give you a trial? with all those elements and the trial still be quote unquote unfair. Oh, I think so. Yeah. They they <laughs> have to give you they have to give you a public and speedy trial by an impartial jury. Yes. Where where the crime happened. It, it, and it, they have the way, to allow you to call witnesses and they have to allow you to have to, an attorney uh, to assistance. You have to have assistance for your counsel and you get to confront your witnesses, meaning you get to ask them questions. That's right. But and all of that could be met without being a fair, fair what people would consider to be fair. And usually what people consider to be fair is what goes in their favor. That's the other thing. Well, yeah. Is that, right, is that whenever you lose, you're like, well, well that isn't fair. fair. <laughs> and I said, you know, and I'll ask, why isn't it fair? You know, it's kind of sort of like a conversation I have with you know, my daughter, okay? Right. Because I lost. Okay, well, that doesn't make it inherently unfair, sweetie. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of a funny anecdote. The first time her basketball team uh, played a game, right? They lost. And she comes, you know, moping off the court. And I said, well, what's up, Mackenzie? And she goes, well, that wasn't fair. And I said, because you lost? And she goes, yes. She looked at me <laughs> like, you know, like what's wrong with you of course that's obvious <laughs> and i was just like but did you got to play four eight minute quarters uh-huh did the refs call fouls yes um did they call them on both sides, sides. Yes. and she goes you know and she looked at me and she goes i don't know she goes but we lost and i said yes but it was still fair it was a right. fair game okay you just lost Okay, no biggie. Yeah, you just lost. But but, but the, there's a there's a related one that you mentioned as you were listing the rights in the Sixth Amendment. Okay. Yes. And that is people believe that the Constitution protects a right to a jury of your peers. No, it doesn't. It's an impartial jury. Um, yes. Okay. An impartial. Not, it says nothing about your about peers. a jury of one's peers. Okay. Because the Which, reality, the reality is, it would be almost impossible right. for a court system to get an exact replica of your peers to serve as a jury. Okay? Right. I'm going to need you to get all female librarians in their, you know, 40s and 50s to, uh, you know, who, uh, who grew, grew, who grew who up, grew in, up a in small. Right in a small rural town in North Carolina, blah blah blah. No, you, you who, right. who 
you know, who was raised in a religious family. Yeah, look yeah. at look at all those disqualifying. Exactly. That's right? not. And what's interesting is that that question comes up a lot in terms of race. Yes. In in juries where they will say the defendant is African-American and there were no African-Americans on the jury. They only require that the jury be impartial, not that the jury be the same race as the individual being tried. And in in, in fact, heretofore, Nia, the Supreme Court has held that there are only two criteria that cannot be used for discriminatory purposes in putting together a jury. And you actually mentioned one, race, and the other one is gender. Okay. Oh, they can't keep persons of color off the jury and they can't keep women off the jury deliberately. Or vice versa, right? Okay. You know, you can't go ahead and say, well, because the victim was, you know, a person of color, then everybody on the jury has to be a person of color. Okay, no. Right. Right. Okay. Likewise, you can't exclude women because you believe that women will always vote a certain way in a certain type of trial. No, you can't do that, right? right? But those are the only two criteria. Otherwise, it has to be an impartial jury. So that's why when you are called for jury duty, and if you get actually called to be a potential juror for a case, you get asked a whole bunch of questions by the defense attorney, by the prosecuting attorney, and in some cases, the judge, to ascertain whether or not you can be impartial. Right. Funny, you, I, I and got I, a funny I story. think that that's a huge... The, la- the last time I got called for jury duty, okay, uh, my uh, number got called to be a potential juror in a case. And when the defense attorney asked for my education and background, and I, uh, I relate it, the judge um, excluded me for cause. And I went ahead and asked, why am I being excluded for cause? And the judge goes, because you know more about the jury system than probably all of us do. You can't be impartial. <laughs> See, well, <laughs> I wanted to serve for years and was not called. And I was finally called for jury, jury duty, and I was so excited. And I went, um, and, I, and I, I read through the document, and I was going to a conference later that week, and it was one that would have lasted two weeks. Yeah. They expected it to last two weeks. So one of the disqualifying factors was if you can't serve every day. And so I called the court and I told them that. And then I went in and had to tell the judge that I went in because you go in and you all sit on these rows. And then they if they're removing you for a variety, are you taking care of a dependent individual? Right. Meaning you can't be here in court all day long. Are you right? There are certain things like that that they then people will get up and leave. And um, they and then they said, does anybody have anything else? And I stood up and I said, as I have said to the court before, I am due at an academic conference that's been paid for by the state at the end of the week. And, um, and she looked through the papers and she found mine and she said, then you're dismissed. And I was really upset because I, I wanted to serve in that way because I think people shouldn't avoid 
jury duty. I don't think it's something to get out of. I think you get a far greater understanding of a system if you sit in it yeah. and marinate in it. It's one of those things where, you know, like um, I've learned more about grievance grievances at the university having sat yeah. on uh, panels, panels where you write, where you hear people's stories and then you're like oh there's whole different dimensions here that i didn't even think about so i i'm you know but the other thing is it was a child it was a child molestation case and so in some ways i'm grateful that i was not part of it because that's a horrible thing to have to hear that's the other that's the flip side of that jury thing um i understand why people want to get out of certain kinds because they just don't want to hear sort of man's inhumanity to man kind of thing yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would encourage anybody who gets a jury notice to serve if you can. I think it's a good way to see how the judicial system works. And in some cases, doesn't work. I mean, yeah. And though I got but, excluded the last time I was called, I've actually served on three juries. Ah. Um, and um, and as you pointed out, um, I mean, not only was I pre predisposed to want to serve because um, I am a believer that uh, we have obligations as citizens right. um, to participate in the functioning of our society. Um, but uh, in one of the cases um, uh, was a date rape case. And um, it was not by any stretch, okay, um, uh, a positive experience as a jury member. Uh, but nevertheless, um, if there was ever going to be potential justice for the victim, um, you know, the individual had to be prosecuted. There had to be a jury, and we had to keep an open mind. Right. Okay. We had to keep an open mind. You have to hear all of the. You have speaking to hear all of, of the parts of it. So yeah. Speaking of citizen obligation. Segue. Many Americans believe that in the original Constitution. There is a clearly identified right to vote. <laughs> there is not. Okay. There is not. There is no explicit right stated. Okay. So it's not. I like laugh. Sorry. I laugh because the founders were wealthy, landowning, educated white males. And they would have thought. Well, we're the ones to vote. We're the ones to make the decisions for the rest of the country. We and don't want the, original, the we don't want the unwashed masses. And in the original constitution, in, in the original constitution, um, uh, uh, qualifications, restrictions, the time, place, and manner of voting was left to the states, because the assumption of many framers was the states would actually protect and have a better idea about who could vote right. instead of having a uniform national, if you will, set of criteria. Well, it's interesting. You've used the word now, original constitution. You've used that phrase now a few times. Do you mean non-amendments constitution? Yeah. Is that what you're referencing when, when you say original? refer to the original or main text. They're talking okay, about they're the document that was drafted in Philadelphia in 1787 and was ratified uh, by 1789. 
They're talking um, about the three article. They're talking about that yeah, document. They're not the talking seven, about yeah, the seven articles. They're the not talking articles, about when you get to the the, the, the Bill of Rights, which are the first ten amendments. Now, interestingly okay. enough, seven. It, it is it is with certain amendments, okay, um, that um, we have expanded the right to vote, right? right. So, for instance, uh, the Fifteenth Amendment. Um, says that voting cannot be denied to those that were previously enslaved. So you're talking about former male slaves were given the right to vote with the 15th. I was going to say only males. Only males, right? Now, we get the 19th Amendment, okay, which gave women the right to vote. Subsequent amendments, for instance, gave 18-year-olds the right to vote. Certain amendments also prohibit certain kinds of practices that made it more difficult to vote, right? So there was an amendment passed in the 1960s that prohibited poll taxes, you know, to where you had to pay a tax before you could vote. Right. But nevertheless, there is nothing that clearly states in the U.S. Constitution that individuals have a right to vote in the United States. Okay. Which is weird because they they do talk about electors. They talk about Congress in terms of being elected. So it's not sure. that they that they were that they were sort of ignorant of ignorant of the process of election, right? They understood no. voting. It, it's just it, it's just that they left it to the states. And as we discussed in a previous podcast episode, very early on, many states did what you described, Nia. They limited voting to land-owning white males. Now, there were some states that allowed women to vote, but that quickly ended. <laughs> um, um, so, I mean, well, you know, this country has a checkered history with voting. Right. You know, and, and, we and could- I tell it. And I tell my students this who want to talk about all the debates about state laws that make it easier or tougher to vote. I'm like, hey, guys, this is not a brand new debate. We have been debating who can vote and how easy it should be to vote for the entirety of our country's history. Right. And they're like, well, there should be one set uniform standard. And I said, oh, so if you are in Virginia, um, you have no problem with California vo- uh, voting uh, laws. Or I said, if, uh, or uh, are you comfortable with New York? Because New York actually has some of the more stringent voting laws in the country. And they're like, well, that can't be right. New York's a liberal state. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's liberal or conservative. Because I said, at times, liberal states enacted restrictive voting laws. Right. If it serves the purposes of that dominant party, then they will use, okay, the authority given to states in the Constitution to make it more difficult for their opponents to vote. And they're like, well, that ain't right. And I said, well, probably it it isn't right, okay? But, you know, what would change it? And they're like, what? I said, wait for it. Amend the Constitution. Right. They're like, Oh man! <laughs> oh, yeah. 
like, ah, <laughs> oh, now you're talking about a huge thing. And, you know, one of the reasons that it's hard to amend the Constitution is because you don't want it to happen willy-nilly. Yeah, you it's want there to change. be you yeah, want there a, to be national buy-in. Yeah, it's permanent, permanent change that becomes the supreme law of the country. Right. So, by the way, the, the, the by the way, the, you ready to move on to one more? I am, but okay, which one do you want to move on to? Well, the one that I hear a lot from my friends who were born in other countries and come to the United States and they're fascinated by the bigness, the sheer size of the country because they assume that Americans have what right? The right to travel. And I'm like, you know, that's not a constitutional right. And they're like, but there's all those movies where Americans just get in cars and they drive up to Maine or they drive out to California or they drive get in the car the kids. We're going to the Grand Canyon, Canyon yeah. or, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to escape my crappy living conditions in X town and X city and I'm just going to drive. You guys got a right to travel. I'm like, there's no constitutional right to travel. And it just blows their mind because there is nothing in the U.S. Constitution that says you have a right to travel. Now, once again, and there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that says that a state cannot close its borders. That's correct. Uh, it would be I'm sure that the lawsuit would be based in the Commerce Clause. Sure would be. But yep. <laughs> because everything Augie's life comes back to the Commerce Clause, he comes eats back it for breakfast. Yes. But but until that lawsuit, a state could say. You're not coming here. And in fact, during the pandemic, there we had go. states that were doing that. We had states that were saying, oh, wait, you're from a highly contagious place. You can't come here without proof that you're not sick or, or whatever. If you, or if you do come here, you're going you to get quarantined. You're going to get quarantined for 10 to 14 days. Right. Right. OK, because, you know, we have former students who went to other states for like graduate school or law school. And they are and they and they email me. They're like, "Yeah, I just got to you know Pennsylvania, and I was basically told I had to quarantine for ten days." <laughs> and, you know, right. welcome to law school. <laughs> and that, I mean, if there was an automatic right to travel, they wouldn't be able to do that. So yes. because that's up to the states, they can they can what close off travel if they want to. Now, does it hurt them? Probably. It probably hurts them financially. It probably hurts them socially, but it also might protect their citizenry from who knows what, right? We don't, you know. And, and once again, Nia, who has interpreted the Constitution to give us at least some notion of a right to travel? Oh, the Supremes. Yeah, the Supreme it Court. It always falls into the lap of the Supremes. Yeah, the Supreme Court in 1958 in the case of Kent versus Dulles, went ahead and said that uh, one could find a right to travel in the liberty part of the due process clause. Um, that you really is can't- Is that the bring... life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? No. 
Oh, oh, Nia. Different document. Different Nia. document. Different oh, you're document. killing me. Oh, I can't Life, believe I said those words Life, liberty, and happiness out. comes from the Declaration, Declaration of, Independence. of Independence. Yeah, I know. I said those words and immediately thought, Awooga, that's a mistake. Awooga. Oh, well. I've wait, made wait, a mistake. Wait, 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 wait. What's that from? Awooga. Oh, it's a, it's a submarine diving. Awooga, oh. dive, dive. Oh, okay. you have a mistake. I, I'm, I'm thinking there's a Disney movie that I've endured, you know, <laughs> watching countless times with my daughter. Probably. <laughs> okay. Probably is something from my childhood, a, okay. a cartoon or a movie that where that, yeah. But, a danger, again, Will Robinson, danger. Yes. But, you know, some scholars say that a right to travel, once again, could be rooted in the Ninth Amendment. Okay. You know, it's an unenumerated right. You have this right in nature, okay? Right. But nevertheless, or correct. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I keep saying right because that's my agreement word. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, I know. And, it's getting yeah, there's a whole generation of Americans, okay, much to the chagrin of English teachers, okay, that um, um, learned how to give affirmation to right. Exactly. Right. As opposed okay. to correct. And now yeah, correct sounds a little formal and stiff. Yeah. To, right? to that you generation know, of people. And I'm one of those. You know, correct is pretentious. But there's a whole bunch of English teachers that would go ahead and tell us, write the notes direction. Okay. Correct means somebody, you know, you know, has been affirmed. Right. Right. Correct. You gave the, you gave the <laughs> correct answer. You don't give the right answer because Mr. Agabaugh, right denotes direction. Okay, yes, Sister Mary Agnes. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, right. It's got to right. be a nun, but yeah. also they are correct. Um, <laughs> so the so, but you could see it in part of the liberty idea of the founding of the country that the yes. founders just assumed the the right to travel. They just assumed that you could go wherever you wanted to go. That that's the whole point of coming here, was that you could show yeah, up, because, get off a boat, and start yeah, walking. Yeah, because yeah, because many of the colonists were leaving Great Britain or other European nations because their liberty, whether it be religious, economic, or just a desire or not to to no, no longer serve as a serf okay in a feudal economic system was limited right they wanted correct liberty. You, yeah, they you wanted can liberty. come to the united states and starve here but you can do it as a free person yeah. um, yeah. basically <laughs> what the what the promise of the early country was yeah, well, yeah then the yeah, promise yeah. of the early country is the promise of it now which is you can come here and make something of yourself in a way that a previous system may or may not have let you, which is why we still have immigration today. We have this idea of, I will go there and make a different life for myself. myself. I will. Yes. And that's why I there will, are, through the power of my hard work, yeah, create and that's why, a new That's existence. why there are a number of political scientists and economists who believe that uh, uh, voting with one's feet is probably the most effective way of voting. That if you don't like what's going on in a particular state or a particular, for instance, city, um, if you really want to send a really strong message to the powers to be, you move. 
Yes, as is happening with three quarters of the population of California, which seems to be moving to Texas. <laughs> or Wyoming or Montana. Oh, right. right. They're they're like, heck with this mess, right? And then they and, and of course now they're the getting local, out. Yeah, and of course now the locals in Texas, Wyoming, and Montana are saying, What are what's what up are with these all these liberal Californians doing? Yeah, and what are, are these car- what are these carpetbaggers doing coming exactly. into our pristine land? But you get after the Dust Bowl, you get Okies. Yes. And um, and people from Can- uh, Arkansas and Kansas who moved to California looking for yes. work. And yes. there's all that issue there. So I want to ask you about something else that's not in the Constitution, but I think people think is in the Constitution. Okay. And that is what you just alluded to with the Supreme Court, the Supremes having the right to decide anything. Because as we have noted in past, the Supreme Court article in the Constitution is almost afterthoughty. Oh, it's very limited. It's extremely like, narrow. Like, like sort of like, like, oh, an right, we need, we need some courts. Let's put in a note about the court. But it is hot in here, so keep it short because I want to go home and yes. not be in this small room with you 80 lunatics or whatever. So it doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Like it's not even it's not even in the Constitution that that judicial review will be a thing that the that the Supremes can look at something and decide whether it's constitutional or not. Right. That's we have an episode on that. That's that's Marbury Marbury v. Madison. That's this. That's. That's John Jay. Is it John Jay? John Marshall. John Marshall. Thank you. Sorry. Um, On my John's saying you know what we really should have the right to look over something and see if it's constitutional i think we'll take that right and everybody going yeah that's great because at the well, time I mean, it served it, their well, purpose. well and, and, and at least initially not everybody thought it was great well i mean you know recall thomas jefferson basically knew that he won that case but lost the war but he lost the war right (laughs) Right. because now you got an entire branch of the federal government that is wholly unaccountable to the public right and gets to decide the authority of the constitutionality of something yeah the meaning of the constitution the the courts have the final word right yeah that's huge it's such a it's such a beautiful move when you go back and listen to that episode you can you can hear my admiration. I'm like, oh, that was beautiful. Well, that I was mean, such a gorgeous power grab that yeah, didn't even look like one at the time and has become a thing that now we all assume is just yep. true. We just assume, oh, yep. well, of course the Supremes will decide a thing. And, it's and there's almost, absolutely no constitutional reason that they should be deciding what's constitutional and what's not. Not constitutional, right? Because if the framers thought that this was so god awful important, they would have gone ahead and listed their... it as a power, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. On the other hand, again, is <laughs> we have discussed in a number of episodes the framers of the U.S. Constitution didn't create a perfect document. They left stuff out of it to where today we're just like, what was going on in Philadelphia in 1787? <laughs> they didn't think that they should go ahead and include X in there. Right. And judicial review is one of those. Now, there are some scholars, Nia, who believe that the framers assumed that every court would exercise judicial review. 
because every state court at that time exercised judicial review. Ah. On the other hand, as Jefferson pointed out, okay, in his uh, in a number of letters to Madison after Marbury versus Madison, this was a power grab. Okay, this was okay. Uh, well, your, your garden variety, a court saying, we're going to go ahead and do X. And it's not in the Constitution. So if you're a strict constructionist, judicial review should give you pause. If you're a strict constructionist, you shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. But the... So in your face, strict constructionists. Um, the other, the other. Did you part say reconstructionist that, or strict constructionist? Strict okay. constructionist. Okay. Um, so, but my like uh, my the the other part of my hindbrain that listens to you, I know you think I don't, but I do, is that we really do need a court that stands above the other courts because if you get into and we have this on a regular basis courts dispute at the state levels yeah so two state state courts here are two different cases and they come to two different conclusions about the colorado river something that we we will discuss in a podcast and or we have by the time you hear this we will have discussed it but i'm not sure it'll be out yet but um you know, if Colorado and Wyoming decide to do different things with the river, someone has to settle that dispute. And it, so there does have to be a sort of an overarching court. Yeah, and it, so it, it, it's, it, it's a power grab, but it's also a not unreasonable thing once you get 50 states who are all complaining and jostling and trying to get their way on things. Yeah, and it's one of the justifications Marshall uh, writes Right. In the in the Marbury case, uh, which is if the Constitution is going to be the supreme law, there has to be some institution that says what that supreme law means. You know, we can't leave it up to 50 states. Right. Because then we it, have 50 different. We can't leave it up something. to one session of Congress, which acts in a different way than a previous session of Congress. We can't have every new president claiming the Constitution says X, and then it changes when we elect a new president. Okay. Right. That's that's not a democratic. That's a mess. Yeah, that's not a democratic form of government. It's a messy form of government. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's bordering on anarchy. Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. Um, And, you know. Well, or then it becomes deal making. Like then. What starts yeah. to happen is states will start to make deals. And, and then, you know, then the, the meaning of the Constitution is left up to, you know, which groups can cut Fringe. the best deals. Right. And again. Or have the most power or power, have yeah. the most. Yeah, that just turns into a mess. So for our final two things that are not in the Constitution. Um, yes. And I think they go together, sort of. Yes, they do. You alluded to one earlier, which is the right to procreate. Yes. There is no right to procreate or in the case of the of the privacy case, not procreate um, Griswold v. Connecticut. Right. There's there's no right of procreation in the there's 
there's nothing in the Constitution that says if you have a child, the state will support it. Yeah, there's nothing in the Constitution that says states should allow you to have kids. And there's nothing in the Constitution, likewise, that says that states can prevent you from having children. Yeah, that's correct. Right, okay. which which comes becomes a case where people have disabilities. Yes. And there have been eugenic questions about whether they should have children or not. That's not up to the state. That's not that's a correct. that's not yes. an ethical or moral decision that the state should be involved in. And so the Constitution steers clear of that by saying we have the the state has no business in your. And again, this then touches upon what are the, you know, historical legal traditions of the country, which is extremely nebulous, okay? But again, you know, we're talking about a country that before it existed as a country were a set of colonies. And in some of the charters with the British crown, there was actually language about procreation that you're going to go a, forth and have children and yeah because you know and again, that they will be subjects of the crown and that they yes, will be supportive okay. of the crown any of your any of your offspring will also be subjects of the crown that have to comply with the charter that this particular colony has with the crown and again you're talking about a different economic system nia you and i've talked about how the united states when it was agrarian kids were not viewed as quote unquote autonomous individuals that may grow up and do whatever they want. Oh no. Kids kids were viewed as property workers. Okay. Property of their parents. Yeah. Their role was to go ahead and make the farm work. Right. Okay. And because they died in droves, you had a bunch of them. That's right. Okay. Um, Back in the day when people had 10 or 12 children. There is no discussion in the constitution about you individually having a right to have kids or the state's ability or not having the authority to restrict it. But I wanna point something out in your notes because it's fascinating to me. Um, That the state, if a state banned procreation or required licenses for procreation, it would not violate the constitution. Now, I rather (laughs) jokingly, because I am not a parent, often say to people there ought to be a license for that the way there's a license to get a to be a driver right you shouldn't be allowed to just go (laughs) random out making babies without having some sort of basic knowledge of how that should should work and there's nothing that says the state can't do that that you well, have to that well, if they think find about this. out that you're going to be a parent, male or female. They find out you're going to be a parent, that you are required to take some sort of course in child development, in child well, endangerment. Think, like, how do you prevent things well, bad well, think things about from this, Nia. babies? It would be great. Think about this. Well, think about this, Nia. Uh, there is actually a corollary to that. Many states require parents who adopt children to go through exactly classes exactly yes Yes. and those families get regularly checked on to make sure that everything's going well at least in the first few years yes that maybe that should just be the case for all families and then that way there would be i would think there would be less child abuse there would be less 
right? There would be, and you would know about problems earlier and you might be able to solve them earlier rather than having well, people well, live or, or, or think horrible that was childhoods. A, or think about if that was a requirement in high school, the number of young people who would be less likely. <laughs> right. <laughs> to have children to have children before they're ready to do so what i think of is ready to do so likewise i'm not entirely certain that there should not be licenses for getting married in the sense of you have to take a class now some religions require that right like i know that in the catholic church if you're going to get married you have to see a priest and there are there's work that you have to do ahead of time in order to make sure that you're both on the same page and you understand what marriage is about and that kind of thing, which I think being led by people who may or may not be married seems a little weird, but whatever. Um, it's not my faith and it's all cool, but I'm wondering if like, so the state of Virginia could do that for everybody, right? They could say, before we issue this license, you have to take a, here's how to be married to another person and deal with all of that class yeah, yeah because there and there's no, nothing that would say that they they couldn't do that right yeah because there's no right to marriage in the constitution um and a lot of my students end up being shocked when i go in and tell them that um according to states it's a privilege and and in many states marriage is basically a contract there's not a right okay so like any contract, could a state put conditions uh, before you enter into the contract? Sure. Okay. But um, they can't put the condition of They cannot discriminate racial... because, yeah, they cannot discriminate based on race and because of Obergefell versus Hodges on um, uh, sexual orientation. Okay? Right. Loving v. Virginia is the, is the race yeah is the case about race right that's the the the, the united states supreme court in the loving versus virginia case 1967 um said that states cannot um uh uh, prohibit uh um interracial marriage and it's not because they cared a huge amount about the race issue as much as they cared about the equality issue if you're not telling two white people they can't get married then yes. you can't tell a black and a white person that they can't get married. Like, yeah, because what you're talking about issue. is a government practice that would violate the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment. Got it. But okay. as a number of constitutional scholars have pointed out, could a state ban marriage for all of its citizens? Theoretically, the answer is yes. Oh, I'm because, starting a single state. Okay, because I'm going to carve off. Of, I don't know where I'm going to carve off a piece of. Hmm. Because because theoretically, Nia, everybody would be treated the same. Right. No one here can get married. Nobody. It's can not get based in race. It's not based in in you know, sexual preference or preference. gender identity or anything else. No. It, none of nobody. Nobody here can be married. And by the way, I get asked this question by a lot of my young. I actually students. wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be fun. And marriages <laughs> are good for a lot of people. Some people, you know, uh, they thrive. Flourish. Some people yeah, thrive they, they, during. Yeah, marriage. they flourish. And, and some and, people and, thrive multiple times during marriage. Right. Like they marry multiple <laughs> people and they have thriving marriages <laughs> while they're good. And that's I mean, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor got married eight times and she was happy all eight times, I think. 
when she got married. Yeah. Well, you know, then you got to make it work. And, you know, that's, you and know. that's hard. But here's the other thing. The other question I get asked about marriage uh, as we conclude this episode, Mia, is by some of my younger students. Why is it that states can place um, age thresholds on when you can get married? And I said, it flows from the state government's police power because they can make decisions to regulate for public health and safety. And I said, and remember guys, young people, children do not have the full scope of rights and privileges that adults enjoy. Right, your, uh, your daughter cannot enter into a contract. No, not at 10 years. Because you know, yeah. she's assumed to not have the ability to consent Yes. To a contract. And that's what marriage is. She it's assumed that she might she might fall in love with one of the BTS singers. Right. One of the (laughs) K-pop boys. And and he might fall in love with her and they might decide they want to get married, although that's weird because they're in their 20s. But you know what I mean? She doesn't have the she doesn't have the mental capacity theoretically under the law to consent to understanding what that actually means, what it means to get yeah, married the, or the, sign the, the a contract concept, or whatever yeah the concept in law is informed consent okay right um and uh but again but man uh, some some states set that marriage informed consent at 14 which i think is criminal personally but the the trend is actually to raise it up to at least 16 if not 18 okay? good um because it should it, be Frankly, that's a uh, that's a big decision to make for a person who's not. And of course, does that know, who mean, hasn't gone to prom yet? I mean, that's well. In 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 of course, listeners, does that mean that the you know potentially rare young person who's mature and knows what they want is has their interests and desires limited by the government? Sure. Yes. Okay, but, but again. You're protecting a lar- the larger group, not yeah, the- you're protecting the collective at sometimes the expense of the individual. Right. And and hardly that, anybody's ever died from waiting to get married. That is true. I mean, it doesn't seem yes. to be a thing that ends in uh, except yeah. for Romeo and Juliet. It does not end in complete <laughs> failure most of the time. We Thanks, probably, Augie. This has been a good one. We could this probably do an entire episode on uh, uh, the political science critique of <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, but that's for a different episode. <laughs> yes, that's for a different episode and years off. In, uh, if All I right, have yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, uh, and, uh, and listeners, uh, this was um, uh, a topic that Nia has wanted to do for a long time and we finally got around to doing it so uh and if there are other things that you think are in the constitution or you think other people think are in the constitution and aren't email us because we can always do a follow-up episode because there's more there are always things that people will say to you in an argument it's in the constitution and because if you say that to me just be aware that the first thing i'm going to say is where (laughs) cite your source where in the constitution is it and if you can't answer that question i'm going to make fun of you okay thank you so much augie and uh, we'll talk again soon all right thanks nia bye bye
You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.